Luke 9. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure disease. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, we need to talk about, do you have a microphone today? Okay. We need to talk about the kingdom of God. When I was a boy, I was told that that is exactly what that means is the church. And that's so close. What they meant by that was when we came to worship and did the five acts of worship in the appropriate way, we were being the kingdom of God. In scripture, being the kingdom of God is loving God, believing in Christ, and treating each other with kindness, feeding the poor, clothing the naked. It is an action of, uh, it is a, uh, the kingdom of God is loose in the world, not locked behind doors. As uh, one person said, and I've used it for so many years, and I have no idea where, who said it first, but I use it with leadership groups that in churches and they're struggling and they're wondering why they're struggling. And one of the questions I ask them is, if your church disappeared, what would your community miss most? And sometimes they have to say, there's nothing. Other times they're, they're very involved, but I push that because if not, you are a farmer who's in their house slinging seed against the wall, wondering why there's not a harvest out there. The kingdom of God is everyday life lived. Do you have something you... Oh, it's the reign of God. And, and the reign of God, yeah. That's right, and his leadership in the entire universe. The church is a, is a smaller circle inside the larger one of the kingdom. Yeah, you're right, and I, thank you for using the word reign. For there to be a kingdom, one must have a king. We've got God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. We can just do that. Uh, you need a territory, a territory. The territory is, 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 the, is the earth, going to all the earth. You need a law. Well, we have the law. It's a law of love that God has given us. And you need a people. And the people would be all human beings, regardless of race. And I, and I love the fact that in Ecclesiastes, it says, even a youth who is in prison can be the one who can lead you. I am, and, and we're allowed to differ, I am glad that laws have been changed recently to eliminate the box that says, have you ever been convicted of a felony um, in job applications? Now, there are some jobs that they still have to put that there because of the matter of trust and bonding, you know, um, to be bonded, insured to do the job. But the fact is there are many people who were put in, in jail because they were young, stupid, and couldn't afford a good lawyer. And then that haunts them the rest of their life. Do you know that, for example, in Tennessee, you couldn't be, uh, cut hair for a living if you'd ever been in prison? And you're going, what, why? You know, um, surely there's a rehab somehow here? Uh, it's, and by the way, it's not just Tennessee. Tennessee has, there are some states that to become um, licensed um, to do hair, there's so many hours. And you're thinking, why? It's because people in the job like to narrow the field. Right? It's just, to be honest. But here, we have a kingdom that says everybody, even those in the prisons, whatever. And he mentions the prisons in Matthew 25, if you remember. Sent, he sent them to proclaim the, the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So don't just tell them that God loves them, help them. All right? We don't have that kind of power 
but we kind of do. We just do it as a slow motion miracle. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. In other words, you're here, but somebody goes, well, I've got a better house for you over here. Well, you, you got something? Yeah. Except to say everything you've said about the kingdom was in the Jewel Miller film strips. I remember those. <laughs> I had to memorize those because I was the recording. My dad wanted me to memorize, and so I, he didn't like the ding. So, yeah. I, I remember the John Nelson family studying the Bible in suits. Um, anyway. Uh, if people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Now, the dust here, you can, if you don't watch out, you can be thinking that they're doing this little, I don't even want the dust of this town. In this usage, dust means people. In fact, just do a survey, and you've got computers, go to Bible Gateway or one of the other, you know, Bible.ca or any of those, and just search for the word dust and go through, and you'll find that, you know, we're, we're made of dust, to dust we will return. But he also talks about, uh, as dust is a positive to this king, your subjects will be like dust. In other words, they'll be all over the world. So dust is not a negative. But dust is a stand-in for seed, for population, for people. There are times you need to leave the bad news behind you and move on. He's saying, shake that off. Yes? The Greek word for deepen or diaphanos is through the dust. Through the dust. That's the definition of diaphanos. Just move, and, and if I were to sit and meditate upon my, fa my failures, first of all, I don't have that much time. But if I did, it would stop my ability to do anything today. There are times you just got to let it go. You got to move and move forward, because that's all you've got. And, and it's, it's become cliche, so many people have talked about it, but on a gravestone you've got birth and death, and there's a dash, and they say you are in the dash. And one of the things I used to do with people who were uh, very, very sick and perhaps terminal, we did seminars for people who had been, uh, who'd been diagnosed with terminal disease, and really about how to, how to, how to live until you die. Um, I did one of those with Bernie Siegel, who wrote uh, Love, Medicine, and Miracles, uh, which is a mega bestseller in the middle 80s, great cancer surgeon, great man. Uh, but one of the things we would do is we would say, draw a line. Now put a dot at both ends. This represents when you're born. This represents when you die. We want you to draw a line somewhere to represent where you are now. That's the hardest thing for people to do. So I would, I would help them by putting my line over close to the death line. Even though at that time I was in my late 20s, early 30s, I'd put saying, never know. I'm going to put it there. When they finally got it done, I said, now draw a circle around where you... You put that line and that point of death. They do that. And I said, that's all you've got. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to live your life? The old joke, I think it actually started with the um, uh, click and clack, the, the, the car guys on, uh, they were brilliant, weren't they? Absolutely brilliant. But one of them said he wants to die calmly, sleeping, you know, in his sleep, like his granddad did, not screaming and crying like the passengers in his car. That, that, um, I, I love that line. And I, you've heard me say before that I told my kids, if you fall out of an uh, airplane without a parachute, enjoy the view. Because of all your options, that's the best one. 
And if you're screaming and crying, you're going to miss it. Well, not the planet, but you'll miss the view uh, as you go down. So again, just shake the dust off your feet. Uh, Taylor Swift had a song, Shake It Off, that was the only one I know of her stuff because it was everywhere a few years ago. Um, can't really call me a fan, I guess, then. But anyway, the, the whole concept of there are times that you're going to just need to leave it and move on. One negative comment can poison a person's old day, even when they've had a hundred compliments. Some of you are nodding. You've gone through this. Boy, have I. You can, I can be at a seminar and talk about God and grace and, and such, and everything goes good, and, and I'm being praised. Again, I'm being, I'm being pushed up there. And then one person come and just, rah, rah, and what do you think about it on the way home? By the way, you're wired to do that. Your brain is wired because good, happy stuff is not a danger to you. Negative stuff is. Therefore, you have a lot more space in your brain dedicated to remembering, analyzing, and reacting to the negative. So we have to, by active will and training, overcome that. You know, a rustle in the grass, and, and my wife and I, last night, um, or night before, it doesn't matter for the story, uh, we're up there watching telly, and um, television. It's not, you call it a television set, and there's one of them, so don't talk to me. It's a telly. And outside, it was a firework. Could it have been a shotgun? Yeah, rifle, no, it didn't have the right crack or pistol. Could it have been a bomb? Yeah, what'd we think? Firework. Did we go to the window? No. We chose to hear it and analyze it. There's a rule in police investigations. When you hear hoofbeats, think horses, not zebras. In other words, let's go with what it probably is rather than the worst case scenario. You know, I, I have attacked snakes that turned out to be a cord. And so I, I'm aware, sometimes I need to pull back and say, All right, let's, let's not put the worst possible thing on this. What's another thing this could be? If you do that with people you disagree with, by the way, they don't get to live inside your head rent-free. You can move on. If people don't welcome you, just move on. He doesn't say they will be damned. He goes, no, your, your leaving will be the testimony against them, that they could not, you could not work with each other. Proclaim, they went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, Herod came from a line of bad people and he was trying to be the best bad person. He's evil. Heard about all that was going on and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. That would be a problem if he were Herod because you'd killed him. And if he's back, it's like the headless horseman. I don't know if you read all that in school or not. We did. Um, terrifying stuff and he was perplexed uh, others that Elijah had appeared and that would be a threat to him would it not because in the Old Testament Elijah was going to come before the Messiah well to Christians Elijah is a, um, a stand-in for John the Baptist uh, that. but for the Jews they still, they still say nope gotta be Elijah yes sir it's in Matthew chapter 18 that he spake of John we're talking about Elijah, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. In the yeah. answer of Jesus. Absolutely right. I thought you were going to talk longer. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Which, by the way, you're always welcome to do. You know that. You know that. You know my respect for you. Um, 
others at Elijah, uh, still others at one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who is this then that, that I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. Now, a little drama dropped in the mix. Isn't it interesting? How did, how did Luke know? Well, we know later that there were believers in Herod's house and in Caesar's house. And so there's underground information coming. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done, and he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we're in a remote place here. <laughs> I, I just love it when people give God advice. I catch myself doing it. Uh, you pray to God about what happened during the tornado without giving him advice. Try. We do. We say, well, your will be done, but this is what we'd like your will to be. I don't think that upsets God at all. I think what upsets God is when we will only serve him in an advisory capacity. Instead of letting him be the king, we're going to keep telling him what he should decide, and then we get angry when he doesn't. I wrote about that in the e-blast this week, about disappointment with God, and I don't have answers why God allows some things. I, there's no way you can put a tornado, and by the way, it's interesting that two main services are still arguing about whether it was one or four, um, but whatever it was, it went over 50 miles, one service is over 60. You cannot draw a line that of destruction that far in Middle Tennessee without hurting a lot of Church of Christ folk. And a lot of Church of Christ folk were really badly hurt, including babies. Um, the, the, this seems one of these too far removed things. In Scotland, our best friends are Ian and Gina Cameron. Uh, Gina, however, was American. She was raised here uh, at Tusculum Church, I think it was, or at Creve Hall, maybe both. Her dad was even an elder there for the longest. Her dad now is uh, very, very old with dementia, and it's a sad thing. But Gina married a teenager over there named Ian, who we'd known since he was uh, a preteen, I guess. Uh, that's a bit foggy, but we'd known him for years. And she's been in Scotland for 40 years. But she comes back to see her parents and her family. And you saw, perhaps in a Christian Chronicle and online, this beautiful husband, wife, and little baby that were all killed. Well, the wife was her niece, Gina's niece. And Gina reaches out to us, and we're going, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why or how. By the way, immediately Christians stepped up saying, if you want to fly back, we will get you a flight. They don't do that bereavement flight thing they used to do where they would cut it down to almost nothing and let you get on the plane. Nope. It's full bore, and you're getting a late-minute ticket. But we had Christians step up immediately say, we'll do it. She decided not to come. Um, but again... This, this is hard. And so we tend to give God advice. And so it just makes me grand to see that the apostles did that to him too. Said, you're going to need to send those people away and let's go over here because they, they're getting hungry. Let them go. And in another account, they says Jesus was actually preaching when they stopped him saying, you know, wrap it up. Uh, but he said to them, he says about 5,000 men were there. <clears throat> he said to them, to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. You've heard me do this before, so I won't go into great length. Would you have done that? 
Because we see in the other account that he says, get them something to eat. 5,000? Where are you going to go? There's not a Costco and, you know, where you can buy a can of green, uh, 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 pork and beans and set that down. Uh, can't do it now. Costco's pretty cleared out because people think there's going to be a run on soup. By the way, Christian, if you've hoarded a bunch of food and your neighbors are hungry, what are you going to do? Are you going to shoot them to, to protect your food? Of course you're not. You're going to share it. So why don't we let, share it by letting them buy some? It's just amazing to me. It really is. And by amazing, I mean ab abhorrent. Um, the disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves. He didn't even go through how he got it. <clears throat> we know elsewhere that the apostles were saying, give them something to eat, and they said, well, not anything. And they find a boy that has a packed lunch. His mama packed a lunch. Got a nice Tupperware. He's responsible for getting this thing back. <clears throat> All right? The lid and everything has to match. You know this, ladies. You know this. It, not you, but your mamas were very particular about the Tupperware. Or worse, a longer burger basket. Do you remember them? Longer burger is a German word, meaning way overpriced. <clears throat> and people would buy them to hang them on the wall. And I'm going, I guess you couldn't get a Rembrandt. Fair enough. Um, the same price. But we found one boy, and it doesn't say that. I've seen the picture where the boy stands in front of Jesus, and Jesus is white and lovely and shiny, and the boy's holding up his food for Jesus. No, it says they found the boy that had the food and brought him to Jesus. I think he was probably rolled protectively around his lunch. Have you seen kids with food? I have. Yesterday, I was the snack person because Cammy wasn't there. Uh, she, could, she was here at the F table. So I took the snacks, and a four-year-old immediately fly and hug because we're buddies but he sits down he goes what's in there and he's just and it, it's like a pack of jackals there's nothing left so you don't bring it all in you keep some in the boot the trunk of the car bring it in later but he brings him <laughs> we'll see this little kid going <laughs> and they don't bring the kid to jesus so that jesus will do a miracle and feed everybody they've not read the story they bring it to him to show there's not enough food and that's when jesus tells him and the other line them up or get them in groups and that's why I'm asking would you have done it in almost every Jesus story there comes a point where I have to ask myself would I have done it and the answer is no when I was a boy it seemed like we were making fun of the disciples for their lack of faith these guys are faith giants do you have something yes, Jump in. yes sir Mar uh, Mark's account of this in chapter 6 adds something interesting to me it's following this then that they're in the boat in the night through the night and in the middle of the night Jesus comes to them and they're terrified they were terrified because Mark says they had forgotten the loaves yep how could that have been that that is amazing and and you're absolutely right but let's talk about that how could they forget how could we forget within a matter of hours yes you know I think of uh if I'm being honest, and by the way, in, in America, when they say to tell you the truth, they're about to lie to you. In, in, in English, um, uh, British English, say, if I'm being honest, the next thing they say is something which is risky to say because it can lower your opinion of them. You know, if I were to say, you know, if I'm being honest, I don't like Cammy's hair. Right, see, that would be, that'd be a risky statement. And since she's watching, I love her hair. 
She was watching on streaming today. She was just a bit dizzy this morning, so I told her to rest. Um, if I'm being honest, I sometimes get angry with God because I didn't get the life I wanted. You know, I, I get angry because I was born with the father I was and with the abuse that came there. And that I, you know, we were, we were rootless and nationless as he moved us about the planet, uh, never allowing us to, to form associations with people and the like. And I, I'm angry about this, I'm angry about that, and I wanted to do this, and I wanted, but now it's too late. And I look in the mirror, and the mirror says, too late, you know, to do some of these things. You know, the, uh, you, people say, it's never too late. Oh, yes, it is. There, there are times you have to pull back and say, this is what I got. This is what I do. Um, and I'll get a little upset. And then I'll look and I'll see Cammy in 41 years, our two amazing children, our five perfect grandchildren. I'm really sorry how yours turned out, but ours are just brilliant. They're beautiful and wonderful in every way. Uh, and, and how they've changed the world. And I think, what would have happened if I'd gotten my way on any of these things? There wouldn't be an Ollie. There wouldn't be a Wiyadi. And I'm going, would be a terrible thing for this world not to have them. I am one of those that forgets the loaves, forgets what God has done. Please. Is it in order further to say that when he said, you give them something to eat, and they had nothing, I'm confident that the miracle occurred after his prayer. I believe it after his prayer. And then they ended up with 12 baskets full. Each man had to carry a, a basket of leftovers. Uh, that should have encouraged that faith as well. Well, it, it should have, but if I'm being honest, again, I find that I slip right back into it after being around the grandkids. And, and you start thinking, well, you know, I really wish I could have. Well, I'm, I'll never get to go to that country or the like that it enters in. And once again, we forget the loaves. We forget the good that has been done because of the way God ran our life. Uh, and I'm saying we, I hope that's not being uh, slanderous towards you. I, I assume that's, an, that's a human thing. It certainly occurs enough in my brain. And so if you don't, I've got it covered. They, they did so and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. And see, there's a key. As you say, uh, the miracle occurred there, but the attitude is what gives me. Jesus didn't look and say, sorry guys. He gave thanks for what he had, very much rem reminiscent of Moses on the mountain and God saying, what do you have in your hand? I'll use that. Um, I wrote an article years ago, why Christians don't win the lottery. And by the way, Christians might win it a lot, but I wanted to make a point with it. Because who hasn't thought, well, you know, if I had a you know, sudden influx of this kind of money, what I would do with it for the Lord? Well, when we were li living out in Colorado Springs when um, they asked us to come to a breakfast of all the churches and charities in Colorado Springs, and there are a ton of them. So uh, we went, and they were talking about all the ministries that we do and uh, all the different charitable works we do as a group. And each group could only put in a little bit. But look at what was being done. And I sat around looking, thinking, if one of us had won millions of dollars, they would have just done it. And the rest of us could not participate. The rest of us would not have had the sacrifice. But since we're sacrificing, we're bound together. We are all part of the story. 
um, I, I learned a lesson that morning as I was looking around. He gave thanks. And then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And here's where Patrick writes a part of the Bible that God forgot to write. <laughs> I, I, with all my heart, I believe he gave that to the boy. Because boy, you know, had to have been nervous. Plus, now he gets to take a lot of Tupperware home. And one of the reasons I see this is because I've read the book of Ruth. Where Boaz says... Let's give extra. They gleaned this much. He even said, knock some more off for her to glean. And then even gave extra at home. Oh, do you have any? We can give more there. And that whole idea of you're taking home more than you deserve or have a right to because God's in charge of it. Yes, sir. When you mentioned Ruth, somebody once said, we've improved on Ruth's sickle, but not her heart. That's a pretty cool phrase, yeah? Might want to write that down so I can claim... I said it. <laughs> Charles Hodge used to say, if you forgot where you got it, it's yours. <laughs> well, once when Jesus was praying in private, and oh, by the way, our church ended, um, killed verse 17 by making it about don't waste stuff. Jesus didn't waste stuff. I don't think that's it. I think it's about give, give it to God, see what he does with it, and the bounty increases. And it was all, you know, don't waste don't try to moralize these. Just walk in the story. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. Wait a minute. Verse 19 sounds very, very familiar. And that list, does it not? Who had Herod heard was out there? John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the prophets back to life. See, Luke's a great author. He does that. It's called a callback. What about you? What do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Uh, the word Messiah. Tell us about that word, brother. You have 20 seconds. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, it, it, it comes from an interesting original idea. There's not really way any any English word to describe it. I, I agree. It's Elohim a, is another attempt to do that, but there's yeah. no way to describe it. But leader of you know of unusual uh, of usual unusual background and um, how that has uh, how it has been misused in some more modern translations kind of it really interests me. It, it does. Messiah is also the same word as Christ. Yes. And so it's not the last word of Je and last name of Jesus. People say Jesus Christ. What they're doing is they're applying a title to him. The Messiah was the promised one, the anointed one, the one chosen by God who would come and redeem his people. And so uh, Peter nailed it, didn't he? Uh, he said, you're the one. You're the one who's going to come and rede redeem our people. Um, Patrick, may I read this? Oh, please, uh, keep going. This, uh, century from Matthew I referred to earlier, Jesus replied to be sure Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. And in the same way, the son of man is going to suffer at their hands. 
then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. That's right. They did not understand that John the Baptist was Elijah until this. And you really need to read the Matthew account because Luke leaves a lot out here. Uh, I'm not really sure why. He, he may have had a different set of witnesses. Um, the story is the same. He, he just leaves out things. They don't contradict. Um, he tells Peter, and in fact, Matthew throws us because the Semitic people use words and word games as a way to communicate thoughts and patterns that we do not. So he said, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Well, Peter, the name for Peter, means a kind of a rock. And so people have grabbed that who didn't know Greek because they didn't know Jews. They stepped away from the Jews uh, who would have known the background of the story and hated all Jews, so they only listened to the, each other and decided that Peter was the one upon whom Jesus had based the church. So he's the first pope and go on from there. Peter never thought of himself as that. Never. And, the and besides, Peter was married because he had a mother-in-law and that you don't get a mother-in-law without a wife. It's a set. Um, you can't just buy the one. Uh, it, you have to buy the two. And, so, uh, and there are several other things there. To be fair to our Catholic friends, and, and they are our friends, uh, the rules about celibacy didn't come in for a while. But still, God, he was playing with a word saying, you know who I am and I know who you are. Now, that I am the Messiah is what I am building my church on. Right? Is that, am I? Oh, that's for sure. Okay. And then also on this matter, matter of Elijah, I just have an unusual um, understanding and uh, appreciation for him. And I've often said, after everything is settled, once we get to heaven, the next hundred years I want to spend with Elijah. It's amazing that he and Moses, he's on the level of Moses and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, Elijah. Yeah, I I love Elijah. Elijah's my favorite Old Testament character. Elijah's one of mine, too, yes. He, he's John Wayne. <laughs> and I love Westerns. And, and all, all good adventure police things are Westerns. If you, if you really, if you look at it, they're all Westerns. Even sports movies are Westerns because the stranger outsider wins at the very last. It's, it, they're all Shane. They're all High Noon. Uh, if you know how to look for the patterns, they're all Westerns. Well, I love Westerns. And what is, you know, all these prophets of Baal, John says, meet me in the street, noon, <laughs> and they're done. And he just, he did, you know, um, all right, you don't want to do this? No rain for you. And then when the time comes for rain, run. <laughs> you got to get home because it's coming. He, he, was, he was John Wayne. He took action. And I, and I love that. However, something very interesting, all of his work left no lasting fruit. We always think we want John Wayne when what we really need is Jesus and love. Because Jesus and love last. Elijah had students, the prophets, there were groups of young men, and Elisha did not follow up on that as appropriately as Elijah yeah. did. Yeah. And there's another thing that's so amazing to me that after three and a half years, um, Jesus and, and James make it three and a half. He just says three. But in any case, he said, I hear the sound of the mighty rain. Now, either he had lost his mind or in a spiritual, there were in another dimension, in another place, there was a cloud of rain that would come and bring fertility back to the soil. He saw, he saw something in the intangible realm speaking from a tangible position. 
And to me, that's one of the greatest examples of faith in the entire Bible. Yeah, the eye of faith will see, yes. But the, yes, please. Her question is, can we also say that the spark of God in Elijah was also was the same spark of God in John the Baptist? Ab absolutely. Yes. 100%. Yes. You're right. Um, the John Wayne versus love thing, and again, I'm, I love Westerns, period. So I'm not dissing Westerns. The, um, in Detroit, we helped build a church of about 1,200 people. 70-some percent had never had a church before, so it was fun. It's fun. We struggled with, all right, how do we reach here? How do we do this? Uh, and we read a book called Organic Church, still out there, really good book. And in there, as we're reading it together, we looked at each other and went, well, duh. He talks about how he was trying to build a church in homes in this one community where the drug dealers were causing them trouble and we'd get people clean and the drug dealers would get them back. And he said, we, had, we, we met and we prayed and prayed and prayed. How do we deal with this? They went to the drug dealers to tell them about Jesus and why we are here and why they shouldn't be doing what they're doing. I'm thinking, first of all, duh, we never thought of that. We thought about you know, calling the cops. We thought about getting legal protections. We thought about hardening doors. We hadn't thought about, let's go to the enemy and tell them, hey, we'd like for you to come to church too. And it was, it was a really a duh moment. We're looking at each other and going, well, why didn't one of you figure this out? I'm going to fire my staff. And they could look at me and say, we're firing you. You didn't think about it. By the way, we never converted a drug dealer. That would have made such an awesome story. But we learned when somebody you think is your enemy, going to the gun, even metaphorically, winning a debate against them, you know, no. Go love them. Uh, somebody asked me what I would do years ago they said what would you do if you met president obama and i would i said i would ask him what's the best thing i can do for you today and somebody recently asked me you know what would you do if you met president trump and the answer was the same i would ask him what's the best thing i can do for you today i'm not here to change their politics i'm here to tell them a story and if they're not ready for the story i will show them the story yes. kingdom of god lived out yes sir you had your hand up way back you can oh, go no, back no, as far no. as you the want ethos to ethos church that is so great in our city yes. began in a bar it began yeah. in a bar yeah i remember um when ethos was starting and we were up in detroit at that time and we had people say is this okay and we said not only is it okay run get there do this and there were a couple of them their chapters started out in bars and we said they will get the spirit one way or the other so go go I'm, uh, we have time for this, I think. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. Why? Again, he had a short a window of time to teach and prepare. He doesn't need to die in year one, right? The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers, the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, I really would have liked to have seen their faces because, again, they didn't know the story. It's a bit of a struggle. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciples must de deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And 
I quoted this today, didn't I? Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose and forfeit their very self? That's what I wish I could read out to people who are hoarding. What are you doing? People who are terrified. What are you doing? What are you afraid of? Remember, is that the world you want to live in? For your neighbor's children starved to death, but you had... Is that really what you want to do? I don't think so. Uh, I've, I've seen movies that really bothered me later, and I would tell Cammie that the action of this person that really bothered me. And early in our marriage, she would ask me why, and I finally figured it out. Now she just knows. They wanted to live too much. You know, so you got the nuclear codes that will kill billions, and they, 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 you know, they put a gun to your head, and they say, tell us, okay. Or they'll put a gun up to the, the, the people's children's head. Now, none of us know how we would respond, but I've spent my entire life going, kids, this is temporary. We all die. If you don't die and I don't die, then everybody else dies. They're going to kill you anyway. I, I don't know that I would be that brave. I, please understand me. I'm not trying to say, you know, uh, what I'm saying is we have spoken all of our life about living is not that important. Living for Jesus is. And then cross the line. That's it. As my son wrote a letter to his friends when he joined the Marine Corps, if you remember, it was a very unpopular war when it began. Um, uh, we didn't find the letter until he was, I think, eight or nine weeks into the Paris Island. And basically, the letter went on and on. But it said, uh, many of you have said that I could die. And the answer is, I'm going to. But everybody dies. Not everybody means something before they die. And of course, that's when uh, Cammy lost it and my eyes started sweating. So I was allergic, I think, to the, the paper. Um, Whoever's ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of me, of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Ashamed? How could you be ashamed? Oh, I'll show you. Go on Twitter today and say that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the way, the truth, and the light. See what happens to you. See what happens on Facebook. Unless you've narrowed your friends to only the echo chamber, the bobblehead crowd that'll just do this, whatever you say. Uh, you're, you're gonna, you are going to get it. On a sitcom, have somebody say, well, I go to church every Sunday and see what the response would be in the crowd. Or you know, on a sitcom, have somebody say, well, I'm a virgin, I'm saving myself for marriage. See how they're treated. It is easy to become ashamed of God because people don't like it when you're not. When I was a kid in school, I, I felt that being a Christian was somewhat like being a secret agent. Because you'd open your locker and everybody's grabbing lockers, you know, getting stuff out for the next class. Somebody look over and they might see a Bible in there and go, what, is that, is that a Bible? You're going, could be. And they're going, I got, I got one too. You're a Christian? Yeah, me too. It was like a secret thing. Because if you let it out, who knows what's going to happen. Jesus says, you know something, I'm standing up for you. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to even die because of you. Stand up for me. Do it. I'm told that uh, there was an atheist who gave a big speech about why he was an atheist and won the crowd over, it seemed, until uh, a few young ladies stood up and sang, stand up, stand up for Jesus. And, and that was way back in the 1800s and turned the crowd. I don't know that the story really happened or not, but it's told very frequently. Uh, and, and 
I guess because I'm just a contrarian, I'm thinking, well, that's a fickle crowd if they're going, okay, and then they sing and they go, okay, apply some thought, you know, somehow in this and, and make a, a, a weighted decision. But at least they did stand up. Um, real quick story and I'll let us go. I've told the story before, 147 people were in that class. I'll never forget the number because it was an anthropology course. I was taking it because I had to have another science course and it was at eight o'clock in the morning so I took it, um, and it, it wasn't a bad course. I took a botany course, um, so anthropology, and, and, and I already knew the guy was an atheist. He came in angry at God that day, and just about the Bible, and Christians this, and that's that, and just on and on and on, and we're all kind of shrinking back in the, in the chairs there, and he goes, and when he's finally done with the rant, uh, he said, anybody here have a problem with that? One, one idiot raised their hand. And I was as surprised as anybody to see it was mine. It was like, what are you doing? You're going to get us killed. And I would love to tell you that I stood, stood up and debated the man and beat him back. No, I turned into sheep boy. But, uh, well, um, it, it, it was completely ineffective. It was a waste of space. I was just exchanging uh, car, you know, oxygen for carbon dioxide at that stage. Afterwards, I had four or five people come up to me. I'm sure glad you said something. I'm a Baptist. And I'm going, where were you? That would have been nice. And, I, and to be honest, again, there are many times I did not raise my hand. Because I just didn't want the aggro. And I read this and I'm going, you know, remember Romans 10? You confess me, I'll confess you. Yes, go. May we close with 1427. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And, and the qualifier, daily. The problem with being a living sacrifice is living sacrifices tend to crawl off the altar. We need to shoulder the cross daily. Okay, let's go. Speaking of which, go. <laughs>